0: This
1: is Weekly Dose of Wellness, brought to you by Memorial Care Health System. Here's Deborah Howell. It's estimated that there will be more than 91,000 new cases of gynecological cancers diagnosed in the U.S. this year alone, resulting in a predicted 28,000 deaths. Some gynecologic cancers are called the silent killers because women are often unaware of the signs and symptoms and they assume that all of these types of cancers are screened through a pap smear. Is this a myth or not? My guest today is Dr. Christine Penner. She's a gynecologic oncologist with Memorial Care Todd Cancer Institute at Long Beach Memorial. Welcome to the show, Dr. Penner. Tell us what constitutes gynecologic cancers.
0: Thank you so much for having me. So when we speak of gynecologic cancers, we're talking about ovarian cancer, uterine cancer, cervical cancer, and then the less well-known vaginal cancer and vulvar cancer specifically.
1: So are any of these types of cancers, ones that we will, like breast cancer, for example, we know that we can give self-exams, we have a mammogram. These types of cancers, are there screenings available? Are there things that we can do, symptoms that might signal a red flag?
0: So of the gynecologic cancers, the only one that we have a actually good screening test for is the is cervical cancer, and that's the pap smear, which many people are familiar with. And the pap smear is looking for changes before something becomes actual cancer in the cervix, but rather um, that we're looking for precancerous cells or even um, just some very early signs of things that might become precancerous cells in the cervix. When we're talking about the other cancers, the ovarian cancer, uterine cancer, vaginal and provar cancer, unfortunately at this time there really aren't any screening tests that have been found to be useful in detecting these before they become cancers or even when they're early cancers. And so when we're speaking about the the other gynecologic cancers other than cervical cancer, we really do... Ask women to pay attention to certain symptoms as the only way that we have to potentially find them either as precancers or as early cancers. And so, specifically, when we're talking about uterine cancer, um, one of the early telltale signs that I always recommend that people look for is abnormal bleeding. So when we're talking about a postmenopausal woman, that's the easiest to state what that would mean, which is essentially any bleeding after going through menopause or having no menstruation for a year is abnormal. And any woman with bleeding once she's gone through menopause should really be evaluated immediately um, and have what's called a sampling of the inside of her uterus in order to look for again any precancerous or cancerous cells. The other cancers are a little a little bit harder. Um, I'm going to first talk about the vaginal vulvar cancer and then will end with ovarian cancer with people are a little bit more familiar with. In terms of the vaginal vulvar cancer, chronic itching on the outside of the vagina or the vulva uh, um, can be a sign of something or if there's a bump or a lump or an area that won't heal on the outside of the vagina um, or the vulva, that can be a sign of, again, a precancer or cancer When we're talking about the vagina itself, it's even more challenging, but um, looking for abnormal bleeding or, again, um, any lumps or bumps or anything like that that uh, a woman were to feel should be evaluated. Finally, when we're talking about ovarian cancer, people are a little bit more familiar with that, and that is the one that, as you're stating, is often referred to as a silent killer. And that's because for reasons that we still don't totally understand, It seems to go from something very small to having spread to multiple areas of the body in a very short period of time, or at least in a way that we're very challenging for us to find. And so what the best thing that we can ask is for women just to pay attention to their bodies. And unfortunately, a lot of the symptoms of ovarian cancer are very common symptoms of many different things. And so it can be things like getting full easily or Um, Having bloating, and not just a day or two of bloating, but bloating that goes on for multiple days, a week, two weeks type of a thing. Um, Changes in bowel habits, nausea, vomiting, um, sometimes abnormal bleeding, although that's less likely with ovarian cancer. And so, but oftentimes, even once a woman's aware of those symptoms, that's because the cancer has already spread outside of the ovary. But those are the best things that we have. Many things have been looked at to do screening for ovarian cancer, specifically blood tests like the CA-125, ultrasound, and even in women at high risk for ovarian cancer and also in those who are not, they haven't actually found that this helped to, um, to diagnose ovarian cancer earlier or to, to make it more likely that a woman with ovarian cancer lived longer.
1: Dr. Penner, what great information. You're so well-spoken. When we speak about pap smears and HPV, some women and some doctors are recommending that you don't need a pap smear every year like we used to think if you do not test positive for the HPV virus. Speak about that link a little.
0: Absolutely. So over the last, gosh, now it's it's almost 40 years, we've realized that Um, 90-plus percent of cervical cancer is caused by HPV, or the human papillomavirus. Now, there are hundreds of types of the human papillomavirus. These inhabit our skin um, and many other parts of our body. So in and of itself, it's not a bad thing, but there are specific types of the human papillomavirus that can, um, in some people, lead to cervical cancer. Um, And so because we know that that's the actual cause of cervical cancer in 90 95 even some people would say 98 99 percent of cervical cancer Um, there's some suggestion that if one is HPV negative that that is puts your risk at cervical cancer so low that maybe a pap smear wouldn't be recommended and this is still something that's really in flux and so the recommendation at this point is essentially that um, women starting at the age of 21 undergo a pap smear um, every three years and um, they actually don't recommend HPV testing between the ages of 21 and 30, and that's because HPV infection is so prevalent. Um, in, if you tested all women for HPV consistently throughout their life, somewhere between 70 and 80% of women would test positive for even the high-risk strains of, of HPV um, at some point in their life, and an extremely, extremely small fraction of those would go on to develop precancerous cells, let alone cancer. And this is particularly common in that young age range, in that 21 to 30 age range. And so we know that the changes that are caused by HPV take many, many years to have effect. And so, essentially, the thought process is that starting at age 21, the pap smears, which are actually looking for the changes caused by HPV, the pap smear should be performed. And then starting at age 30, we add the HPV test to the pap smear and use both of those to determine if any additional procedures need to be done. Um, You know, at this point, the recommendation is that that be every three years. Um, and that is still a question up for for debate in terms of what exactly the right screening interval is and in order to both catch things before they become a problem, but not make um, women have to undergo a lot of unnecessary procedures that can create anxiety and cause problems in and of themselves.
1: Speaking of those procedures that can cause the anxiety, I think as a woman going through perimenopause myself, Dr. Penner, that women want as many screening tests that, you know, we get our mammograms and a pap smear. What did you say about ultrasounds? What's the thinking out there now about adding in some things to add to these screening methods for some of these?
0: Sure. So obviously we all would love to find a great screening test for ovarian cancer. Um, And so what they've done is they've actually looked at doing ultrasounds for women, and unfortunately what they found in, when they divided people, they did ultrasounds um, either annually or every six months or some frequency, depending on which study you look at, in half of the women. And in the other half of the women, they didn't do the ultrasound. And what they actually found is that there were not was not only more morbidity in the patients who got multiple ultrasounds, there was actually a higher rate of mortality, and that was because ultrasounds led to finding cysts in the ovaries, the vast majority of which are not cancer, which led to patients undergoing surgeries for those cysts. And while obviously the majority of surgeries are safe, when you do enough surgeries, there's going to be complications, and occasionally those complications can even include, um, you know, something fatal. And so unfortunately, um, while it may feel to a specific woman like, oh, if I could just get an ultrasound, I would feel so much more confident that, you know, I was okay When we look at that over the broad population, we see that we're actually doing more harm than good if we do routine ultrasounds on women looking for no reason. Obviously, if a woman has symptoms or if if something is felt on exam by her practitioner, that's a very different circumstance. But just doing an ultrasound out of the blue without any reason is actually going to do more harm than good if we look over the population.
1: Wow, that's fascinating. In just the last few minutes, Dr. Penner, Give your best advice to women listening about these type of gynecologic cancers we're all so afraid of, and what you want us to know as a gynecologist oncologist about these cancers and the best ways to protect ourselves and where we can go for more information.
0: So two things on that. One, I think just owning owning your own health and and being your best advocate is is really the, the key. And I think when you have a question, when you have a concern, when you notice something different about yourself, don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Bring that up with your at least your primary care doctor or your OBGYN um, and and make sure that you get your questions answered and that they um, have taken your concerns seriously. Obviously, continuing to do the screening for cervical cancer with the pap smear and the HPV testing is something we know has been extremely effective in reducing. Rates of cervical cancer and cervical cancer deaths in this country, um, and and being aware of your body. And in terms of additional resources, our society, the Society of Gynecologic Oncologists, um, has a great website, sgo.org, and on it they have just some very basic information about each of the gynecologic cancers that I've talked about, as well as about HPV. Um, and they also have information for women who have survived gynecologic cancers. And so I think that's a great just starting point, and they have additional resources that that are referenced there, but that's uh, sgo.org, and I think that's a great starting point to find more information about the gynecologic cancers.
1: Thank you so much, Dr. Penner. It's really great information for women. You're listening to Weekly Dose of Wellness. For more information, you can go to memorialcare.org. That's memorialcare.org. This is Melanie Cole sitting in for Deborah Howell. Thanks so much for listening.